Today we have a, a wonderful opportunity to hear um, one of our very own IW alumni. Um, but before we do that, on behalf of the admissions office, I want to thank all of you students and professors and faculty for all of your patience and hospitality to the families and the visitors that we have on campus for Fall Preview Weekend. Um, and we want to welcome any that are visiting in this chapel today. Thank you and welcome for being with us to worship with us. Uh, we are excited that you're here and pray that you have a wonderful visit and that hopefully it will be a home for uh, your children one day. Today we were gonna we're gonna uh, hear from Professor Charlie Alcock, uh, but he's better known as Professor Alcock, from what I understand, Professor. Professor, and uh, he works in the religion department with an emphasis on youth ministry. He just came back here from California, where I'm from, and, and miss sometimes. But uh, he's from San Diego, moved here from San Diego, where he was the director of youth ministry at Skyline Church, and he was also the director of the off-campus youth center for Ground Zero. He is energetic. He is passionate. He loves the Lord, and uh, I pray that that flows over on to you today. Will you please welcome Professor Charlie Alcock? I'll be straight up. I'm afraid of uh, Latrice. <laughs> See, I, I have a, I'm going to talk about this. I have a great respect for you because of your husband. Because he's a big guy. So I'm really nice to her because I'm, a, I'm afraid of him, actually. Oh, yeah, he's a big teddy bear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is a stud. I love him, man. Hey, uh, it's so good to be here in the Chapel Mix. Um, I want to go over some stuff today that I think is pretty important, and it's, it was important to me, especially as I just learned some of this stuff in the last couple months. Um, the one thing that, that, uh, that I liked about being in youth ministry is it was constantly fresh. You had to fight constantly to, 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 to stay on edge. And, uh, um, and then I come here, and I felt clearly that God had an, opened a door to specifically work with students who are going into youth ministry. Uh, but not only that, but to influence and to be around people that, that, that are Christians. And to kind of redefine a little bit of what it is to be a Christian once we leave this place and walk out these doors from this institution. I mean, let's be straight. When I was here my freshman year, I just about flunked out. Okay. I mean, I had Wilbur Williams and Dr. Wilbur Williams. I had his class, uh, his Old Testament, and it was a little bit on the rough side for old Charlie. Uh, I, I don't know how I even passed. I got to see. Thank the Lord. And uh, it was craziness. I mean, I wasn't paying attention to hardly anything. I liked being away from home. I liked the freedom. It was good days. You know, nobody was telling me what to do or where to go. You know, well, I thought anyway, but, you know, you still had, you know, some freedom to do what you wanted to do and, and, and kind of start over. See, I think coming to a place like this is a brand new opportunity, especially for freshmen, because you can start over who you are and what you want to be like and your reputation, all kinds of things. And I also think that when you graduate from here and you leave and you go out there into the world, you have a chance to reestablish who you are. And so all throughout the college mix is opportunity in my perspective. Chances to do things a little bit different, to learn, to grow, to, to see new things. When I see people who already know everything, I don't really want to talk to them. It's like, bro, if you know everything, then, you know, you're beyond me. 
I've seen some people, I know this one broham named Skip Elmore back in San Diego. The dude is 74 years old. This guy is learning constantly things brand new. I want to be around Skipper all the time because he's fresh. I don't care, you know, that he can wear plaid and stripe at the same time. He's 74. He can do what he wants. I mean, when you're 74, you can do what you want because you're, you're the old guy. It's okay. I talk about this in my class all the time. Skipper's like that. He can do whatever he wants. He drives a Miata. Okay, this is, I like him already. But what's about him is so cool. He's just constantly wanting to get new things. He asks me, he's like, you know, what do, what do the youths think? It's like the youths. What do the youths think this? You know, we're talking about stuff all the time. I like that kind of person. I've seen people who are 16, 18. I've seen people here on this campus. They don't want to know anything new. I mean, they, they know everything. They already got it all figured out. It's like, they're old time. I mean, what's up with that? There are, they might as well die because they're already old. They, they can't learn anything new. Well, okay, you know what I'm saying. I mean, they might as well just hang it up. It's like, because there's nothing, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. Christianity, in its very definition, means there's a ton left. There's infinity left. I mean, how big is infinity? Count to infinity really quick. Uh, of course not. You can't count to infinity. To me, Christianity, having a relationship with Christ, means that there's so much left that, that you, can never, you can never get to it. I mean, you can pursue, and you can pursue, and you can pursue, and you can pursue, and you can never obtain all that He is. Never, ever, ever. And with that, that knowledge, that understanding, comes, comes this incredible desire that, that, that there's so much more, and you can always be becoming, never quitting, never dying spiritually. Yes, physically, there's going to come a day where it's over. We know that. We all are aware of that. But spiritually speaking, for Skip, it's never over. It's never over. And I want to be one of those old brohams that's wearing, you know, the crazy, you know, suits and all that kind of stuff and being, you know, driving crazy cars and, and 74, and it's never over. Okay? You know, I want to be a professor here where it's never over. And I want to be around students where it's never over. That's the kind of attitude that you have to have to pursue the things of Christ. To, to, to get to the point, man, where you're so consumed with him that, that, that it's your, you're lost. It's like, oh, I, they don't even know who they are. I mean, you know, they do this, they do that. But the one thing about them is, is they're constantly focused on who Christ is. I mean, they're not concerned about style. And, and, you know, they're not worried about all this other garbage that floats around, all the gossip. You know, speak to the devil because you're not worth the extension stuff. You know, all the girl stuff. Hey, you know, you know t speak to the left because you're not right. Or whatever you guys say. You know, that, that, you know, whatever, you get to deal with some of that garbage, you know. Hey, bald is terrible today. It's the worst ever. It's always terrible. It was better last year. Okay, whatever. Get on with it, okay? Well, you are lost here in Marion. I'll, t I'll be straight up honest, all right? You know, okay, you head down to Taco Bell. Wow, all right? <laughs> Go back to Baldwin. I mean, I've been trying to be cool at Baldwin. I've been trying to hook it up there and eat there. But man, it, it, there's a lot of gurgling taking place when you eat at Baldwin. It's like, what is that? I love it. It's great days. I'm down in Mexico with in mission trips and all that kind of stuff. We're down in Ensenada. And people, don't, don't eat this. Don't eat that. It's like, I'm eating it, the cheese, the meat, the carne asada, drinking the Mountain Dew. It's good days. I never had any gurgling like I've had in the last month in this mix. All right. Whatever.
You know, when you're pursuing, when you're so consumed, I mean, that becomes a non-factor. It's just a non-factor. The things that take place that are so petty are so non-factor. That's what I want to be like. I'll be honest. I don't want to come back here and be stiff and, and like, come here. I'm, I came to IW to die. No, I came here to grow. I came here to explode. And there's some things that I've learned just recently. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus, because we're going to do a little look at Moses and the children of Israel. And we're going to get rolling pretty quick because I'm wasting a lot of time. And I want to start going over this a little bit. And uh, if you're in my New Testament class, this is a little bit repeat. I told you it would be, so be quiet. Don't say anything. I don't care, even what you say. So this is kind of like review, right? A little review mix. What I see in Exodus is a great example for us. Okay, we can never get to the point where we're so smart, so intelligent, that we can't learn lessons from the past. All right? It's my opinion that we failed to have direction for the future. We failed to understand where we're going. We don't really know what we're doing, really, spiritually. All right? We're kind of lost. We're kind of floundering in a spiritual sense because we failed to learn our lessons from the past. We failed to take a look back and see what has happened and what has been done. We kind of have an arrogant new attitude. It's like, listen, I, we're brand new. We're, we're, we, can, we can figure it all out on ourselves. There's a whole group of people who say, no, don't do that because we tried it and we failed. It's like, whatever. Now go back to your office, whatever. Okay, we're going to do it. There's a lot of things that we can learn from the past. A lot of things, especially when I see this. And in this section of Exodus, what we see is the children of Israel, and they've been in bondage forever, right? Pharaoh is, is doing terrible things to them. He's putting them through slavery. They, he's given, they're giving the worst things to eat. I mean, Pharaoh kills their children. He, he, it's, it's a terrible existence for the children of Israel. They just came out of captivity. I mean, they went all through that stuff and all the frogs and the plagues and all that stuff. You learn Wilbur's class. All right, they come through that. They hit up to the Red Sea. Bam, it opens up. Drive through that mix. They're out. Now they're moving. They're on their way to where? Okay, to Mount Sinai would be the correct answer because you're in my class. Okay, a lot of people say, well, they're on their way to the promised land. They're not going to go straight to the promised land because this is a principle, okay? If Moses led the children out of captivity straight to the promised land, they would make the promised land into a land of idolatry because that's human nature. It's what I've been doing in ministry for a long time. I'll be straight up honest. All right? I'll be honest with you. For a long time, I've been selling Jesus on his promises. Man, come on. You got to check this out. He'll take care of you. The promises of Christ are so good. It's the best thing ever. You're going to love it, bro. Come on. You got to see this. Don't do what you do. Do this. I've been selling promises. I've been talking about the promises. And you know what the result is by selling all the promises? There's a group of people that love Jesus on the promises of him, and they don't know him for who he really is. That's part of my fault. I've been doing that for a long time. We have to know who Jesus is for who he is, not for what he'll do for us. I got to love him because of who he is, not because of the things that I can get from him. That's why in this section in Exodus, he's moving people to Mount Sinai because at the mountain there, God wants to reveal himself. And that's huge. That's a massive, massive step. It's my opinion right now, especially for here, I, I would say that the experience that you have at IWU is a Mount Sinai experience. God wants to reveal himself to you in a way that you never saw him. And what we're going to talk about right now is this, is how do you respond? 
I believe that with all my heart. I'm going to tell you the truth. I would not be here. Sometimes I drive home, driving down 37 into Noblesville, where I connect with a church there, with the crux, with the youth ministry, and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes I want to cry. Sometimes I do because I miss it so bad. I miss my friends. I miss the ministry there. All right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the location is cool too. But I'm not so caught up in the location anymore. I love it. It's great days. It's a beautiful. San Diego is the prettiest city in the country by far. There's no exception. There's no question. But man, when you're where God wants you to be, it's the best. And when I was there, it was so good spiritually. But I honestly believe that God wants to reveal himself in a way that is supernatural to you right here now. Or why else would we be here? It's not a waste of your time. If you're stagnant and if you're closed off to what he wants for you or what he wants to say to you, then yeah, it's a waste. But if you see this as an opportunity for him to reveal himself, oh, dudes, it's going to be the epicenter of spiritual explosion. No question. This can be the epicenter of spiritual explosion that brings a revival that we haven't seen for a long, long time. And what happens right here is this. With the children of Israel, there's some weird things that take place. I already alluded to it. They've had the worst. They've been abused. But yet when they get in the wilderness and it gets a little bit tough for them, they talk about how they would like to go back. It was much better for us back there. Yet Moses... It's considered like, like Pharaoh's grandson. He has the best. He's been schooled by the best. He knows the best. He's in the most powerful organization on the planet Earth. Yet in the midst of the wilderness, when it gets tough, he never says once, it was better for me back there. Why does he say that? Because on Mount Sinai, he saw God. And when you really see him, you'll know that the world has nothing for you anymore. When you really behold who God is, when you recognize him truly for who he is, you'll be so consumed by him that what's outside those doors down there is not appealing to you anymore. It doesn't matter to you anymore. And that's what happens there. Why Moses drew near, even in the thick darkness, the people of Israel stayed back. I mean, they love their worship just like we love our worship, there's no question. And they love their miracles just like we love our miracles, there's no question. But when they had the opportunity to draw near, they didn't. And what I understand is this. Is there was a barrier between the children and God revealing himself. And that barrier is the same barrier that exists between us and him. And we all know that's sin. But what about sin? Don't we know? Well, for me, this is something I've been learning. And that's this that the lack of obedience in my life to God's will and is God's way is the sin that is the most devastating and does the most damage. The thing about Moses is he came to the point of complete and total abandonment and obedience to what God wanted him to do. The children of, Moses, uh, the children of Israel, when they got to that point and Moses went in and they stayed back, I think that they... I think that they were afraid. They were afraid of God. Moses even talks about it over and over and over. He talks about this. He says, listen. 
if you take about like Exodus 19.3, God wanted to reveal himself. He wanted to reveal himself to the people so they would know what God wanted. And then you go to a little bit further. Let me open up my Bible here and read it for you exactly. So when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. And Moses and said to Moses, speak, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us for we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached in the thick darkness where God was. Moses says to the people, because they have this level of fear, he says, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. He makes it clear there's a difference between fearing God and being afraid of God. He says, don't be afraid of God. Don't, don't, like, like Emily would say, don't be a scared Emily's my little daughter, eight years old. Don't be as scared of God, all right? But do have a fear of God because a fear of God is a healthy respect of God. A fear of God tells you that you know that he is God, whether you agree with him or not. You know what I think that I have done through my Christian life is this, and I think that we do it here at IWU, is we get to this point where we look at God and we, we have an understanding of God, but we don't have a healthy fear or respect of God. So when he says, I want you to do this, we say, hey, 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 God, listen, 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 let's work out a deal. I'm going to do stuff that looks like Christianity, but I need to do it from this way. So I will do what you want just as long as it makes sense to me. Just as long as I agree with you, God, then I will follow you. That's not having a healthy fear of God. That's not what it says. What it says when it says to fear God is to obey God with total and complete abandonment. So you do what he says to do, and you go where he tells you to go, regardless if you want to or not, regardless if you like where it is or not regardless of what you think about it or not. It's not like this deal where, hey, God, I have a better idea. Why don't you just hang tight, Broham? We've got to work some stuff out first. I need about two years to do my own deal. You know, we're going to make the band, and we're going to make it work, and we're going to do all this kind of stuff. Then when I'm done doing my deal, then I'll get back to, to what you want. Is that true or not? Or am I just a moron? I mean, does anybody in this room, by shaking your head, say, I've seen that before? In fact, that's been me. Okay, there's a couple of us that, that's been like that. For the rest of you, maybe you can understand that when you're talking to other people and you see that and you can help them. But for a couple of us, that's the way we've been playing God. We've been playing him. It's like, wow, God, it's like, I really like you because I don't want to go to hell and I am a Christian and I got the scholarship for being a Christian or whatever and I get the pat on the back for being the Christian. I got the Christian label. Hey, I got the cross. It's good days. <laughs> no, no. It's not the way it works. It's not the way it was ever intended to work. Ever, ever, ever. We've twisted it. We've twisted to fit our identity to our style, and we will have a healthy fear of God just as long as he doesn't make us do something that we don't want to do. That's me. You know, when I speak, I, I, I envision this massive mirror in the front, and I can see myself because I'm talking to myself in these sections. This is stuff that I've learned I want you right now to quote for me your favorite verse on the count of three. Out loud. One, two, three. The balcony is pretty weak, bros. What's up there? I didn't hear anything. Did you? Okay, good for you. All right. All right, yeah. Okay, quote for me John 3, 16. I hate that verse. You know why? Why? 
You know why I hate that verse? Because nobody knows John 3.14. Say John 3.14. Nobody in my class. All right, John 3. Who's a smart aleck back there? Raise your, hey, don't say that without being bold. Stand up. Who said that? John 3.14. Okay. Good for you. And who's the guy that said John 3.14? Who's that guy? Ba balcony, where, bro? What's up, bro? You got some guts, man. I'm down with that. All right, sit down. The thing about John 3.16 that I can't stand is this. All right? Is it's taken out of context all the time. There's a key word in there, believe. The word believe now doesn't mean what it really meant before. For us, we've taken the word believe and we transcended it and made it fit our style, like, like in, 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 in our music genre. I can believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. Thinking about you every day and night. Well, how's the rest of it go? Spread my wings and fly away. You can't fly. You cannot fly. Fly right in the balcony. Show me some flight. Hook me up. You'll fly for what? One second. You can't fly. Okay, I can fly for five seconds. Yeah, I'm in New York City. I hit the Empire State Building. You can fly then. Go to San Diego. Get the top. Oh, I can fly. You can fly for maybe four seconds. You can't fly. I don't care how much you believe. Believe it. Believe it as much as you want. Man, San Diego is no different than here. I talk to students and say, I believe whatever I want to believe. Yeah. I believe it. It'd be me. It believes it. If I believe it enough, I can achieve it. If you can believe, you can achieve. Okay. I believe I'm running right through that wall. You can't tell me I can't. You can't tell me I can't. Okay, bro, run. Bam. I was like... Yeah, you stupid. Yeah, you can believe a certain amount of things, okay, as long as you believe the right things. You know, I had this friend that, that was so intense, and he's like, man, I can't stay in high school, Charlie. When I get out, I'm out of here, man. I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I want to go where I can do whatever I want to do. I mean, I don't have to listen to what their beliefs are in their system. I said, bro, Lucas, no matter where you go, that's going to be like that. I mean, you graduate, you go to I ain't going to college. No way, man, to tell me what to do all the time. It's like, well, you go work, man. Your boss is go, right, I'm going to go work for a boss like that, man. I'm going to the army. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're right, man. No problem. Man, you're going to cruise. Man, do whatever you want. Yeah. No problem. Oh, wow. Are you kidding me? <laughs> if you take a look at John 3.14, even that section... Jesus in John 3.16 is talking in that section. He's talking to a guy who is very, very intelligent. And that guy's name is Nicodemus, right? And he's trying to work through some stuff with him and all this kind of deal. And he's talking to Nicodemus. He says, listen, you're an Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And you don't, you don't understand anything, right? He breaks it down for them. What's your problem? I've spoken to you all these things and earthly things. And if you don't believe that, how are you going to believe all the things that are of heaven? Then he comes on to John 14. Uh, 3.14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Then comes John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Well, I get John 3.16, but to be totally honest, for a long time, I didn't even care about John 14, 3.14. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. What does lifting up a snake in the desert have to do with if you believe enough? Nothing to me. 
because I'm ignorant. And here's a, a portion of truth here that I've got underlined over and over and over. You are responsible for knowing what God desires, what God wants, what God has for you. And ignorance is not an excuse. It's just not an excuse. Man, I've been claiming ignorance spiritually forever. I was busting down 37, and I was flying, and I passed this one car, and, you know, to get around him, because they were going a little bit slow, I had to kick it up to maybe 70. We, it's like, uh, you know, and then, then he saw my California driver's license, and it's like, you know, I was doing about 65. You were doing 79. It's like, oh, you know, ignorance is not an excuse. Did you know the speed limit? No, man, I just moved here. Does it matter, does it? Oh, oh, oh sorry, sorry, young man. Oh, you didn't know. You just moved here. You, you didn't know that it was 55. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I knew it or not. Ignorance is not an excuse. But we claim it like it's our job. Man, we claim it all the time. Well, I didn't know that, or oh, I didn't understand that. When it comes to spiritual things, ignorance is not an excuse. And for me, ignorance is not an excuse. In John 3, 14, Nicodemus knew what he meant when he said lifting up his legs. Because if you go back to Numbers, you see what's going on. In Numbers, I'm going to go really quickly. There was all kinds of craziness happening, children, in the desert. And basically, these snakes came up, these venomous snakes, and this is what happens. They're biting all the children. Children say, oh, Moses, sorry, we, we, we didn't obey. We tell God to take away all these venomous snakes. And so the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. The concept of believe is established here in numbers, not established in what we say in 2003. For what would happen is when this snake would come up and bite you, I mean, we're talking about a nasty, venomous mi sn viper, sniper, viper, whatever you call those things. Okay? You know, and even that Steve Irwin, like the crocodile maniac, man, broham, crocodile uh, hunter, there we go. I mean, this guy's not going to mess with one of these snakes, all right? These snakes come up and they bite the children and they're going to die. They're going to die. End of story. You know, and he said, now listen, if you get bitten, look at the pole and you will be healed. And what do you think they did? They're walking, bam, they get hit by the snake. It's like, I believe it's there. It's cool. I'm keeping going. You know, bro, you're dying. You're dead. It says you have to turn and look. That is the concept of believe. Believe demands not only an understanding, but it demands action. And you can't say that you believe unless there's action behind your belief. It's not good enough just to assume, I understand it. You know, I, I have an a, a intellectual knowledge of God and all that he wants, so I therefore I can keep on going my direction. If you say you believe, not only do you understand, but you turn and you face him. And you look at him and you follow. That is what it means to believe. You know what? Sin does not start out in our lives. It's some major event. And I'm walking down in the classroom. I smell pot in the bathroom over there at CM building. It's like, oh, there's all the CM students are in there having a joint. It's like, oh, you know, you guys are all kicked out. It doesn't start having a joint, okay? It doesn't start at a party at your high school. You know where it starts? You know where sin starts? It starts when we treat the things of God with insignificance. That's where it starts. When we treat the Word of God with insignificance. When we treat the worship that we have before Him with insignificance. When we treat His Word, when He speaks to us with insignificance as if we can't hear Him. Listen, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to explode. 
to be about something that I want to be about. Has anybody ever experienced a powerful moving of Christ? I've experienced it in this room in the past. I've been, I was here. I remember when this place opened up and there were some things that took place in here that were just incredible. But God did it then and he'll do it now. But we have to make a choice. Will we believe by faith, completely blind, and trust him even though we don't understand or we don't agree? What happened to Moses was he drew in. He drew in. And he saw God. You can hide your sin in the atmosphere of chapel. You can hide your sin in the atmosphere of worship. Because you just kind of are there, but you stay back. But when you approach God, it's all exposed. And when you approach God, you explode. And there's nothing left of you anymore. And that's really and truly when you will be someone that I can follow. It's an incredible opportunity to be here and to speak to you in chapel. But we have to get to the basic understanding that we have to obey what God says, where he goes, how he leads, regardless if we agree or not. And when you do in that simple, basic understanding, you will find something that will drive you crazy. There'll be a past in your life that is far beyond style. There'll be a passion in your life that goes way beyond music. There'll be a passion in your life that is not containable. Because it doesn't come from you or from me. It's come from him. And that's what you want. I know that's what you want. Let us pray and let's get out. God, I pray for us right now in chapel. I pray for us to hear IW on Friday. God, I just ask in your name that we understand to obey you, what it is and what it costs. And number two, God, I pray that we understand. God, we clearly understand who we are and what we're not. And we lay our rights to ourselves down before you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I please, this is what I would say to you. In a simple way, lay your rights to your life down. Yeah, I know you have the right. You have the power. It's your life. You have a free will. There's no question to that. I think what God's asking you is to lay your rights down and let him take it. Let him run with it. I know, I promise, when your life is over, it will be the best move you ever made. You can have a level of freedom and you can have a look of spirituality by holding on to yourself. But unless you lay it down, you'll never know him the way he wants you to know him. God, help us to do that. Help me to do that. Even in this moment, to lay my rights down. God, in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.